0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week as we try to find some more answers to your questions. Just like we do each week, we study the Bible with you. We try to answer any questions that uh, you might have and you tell us what to talk about on Know Your Bible. So let's the way we encourage Bible study, we hope. And uh, if you've got a question about the Bible, phone number on the screen, website on the screen, use either one of those to get in touch with us, and we'll try to answer your question. Uh, my partner here, Toby Levering, is back, ready to go. Good morning, Toby. Good
1: morning, Steve.
0: Glad you're studied up and ready to go. We've got a lot of good questions. Our viewers keep us busy with all kinds of questions. Even after 27 years, we're still finding new ones. So keep we, us hopping, right? we, we we enjoy it, but. <laughs> Uh, We always start with one for them, so let me uh, give our viewing audience one first. A little trivia question. Uh, Joseph in the Old Testament, the boy with the fancy coat, how many brothers did Joseph have? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you and your family can figure that one out. How many brothers did Joseph have? All right, Toby, I think you got the next question.
1: Sort of an authority question. A viewer asked, does the Bible tell us to pray For those in authority, and the answer to that is an affirmative yes. Uh, Christians, of course, have a deep connection to a higher power uh, than government, but uh, Christians are definitely commanded to work within the confines of their government and the the rules and the laws to obey those, to be a good citizen. And uh, as long as those laws and all of their uh, demands of that government don't overstep the bounds that God has laid down for the Christian, Yes, we should uh, obey the government and certainly pray for those who make the rules and who lead the government and the execution of those rules. Uh, Romans 13 is a good chapter if you want to read through that. It's very specific on how we ought to submit to those in authority and, and live a good uh, life and be good citizens. And we certainly should pray for our leaders. Uh, let's look what Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He said, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So certainly, whatever you find yourself, you ought to pray for your local leaders. You ought to pray for your state leaders. You ought to pray for our national leaders. Uh, If you are watching this from another country, you certainly should pray for them, too. That's uh, something Christians ought to do. Anywhere and everywhere, I think it's a good practice.
0: Thank you, Toby. Uh, You've got an interesting question here. If God created angels to serve Him, why is mankind necessary? If He's got legions of angels to serve Him and take care of everything He needs, well, then what's He need us for? Uh, Well, of course, God doesn't need anything, so that kind of moots the question, but it's a good question and you're not the first one to think of it. Uh, People have wondered about that for centuries. In fact, let's look at uh, Psalm chapter 8, and the psalmist wondered about the very same thing. He said, when I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, and he goes on, all the things that God has made and created, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? So the psalmist said, you look at everything God made, and he got everything he could possibly want or need, Why does he care about man? Why did he make man is what this viewer asked. Well, let me pose it this way. Suppose you lived in a huge mansion, had dozens of servants that took care of your every whim and all of that, but you had no one there that loved you. All you had was servants that did what you wanted. Uh, You'd probably get lonely. I think I'd get lonely after a while and want somebody uh, to talk to, somebody to have a real relationship with, instead of a boss-employee kind of relationship. Now, I know angels aren't exactly employees, but hopefully you can understand that analogy there. Angels are different than us. Uh, We are the only created beings that are made in the image of God. Genesis 1.27, God said He would make us in the image and likeness of God. So because of that, we're the ones... That can have a relationship with God. We can love Him, we can uh, worship Him, we can serve Him, we can fellowship with Him. Uh, The other created beings can't do that, we assume. Uh, So, uh, the short answer is, we were made for God's pleasure. Uh, Not that He wants us to entertain or amuse Him, but because He willed it. Everything, the Bible says, was made at His will. So why did he make man? Because he decided he wanted a creature that was like him in many ways and that could worship him and serve him in fellowship and have a special relationship with him, which he doesn't have with any of the other beings in heaven. So I think that's why he made man. And it's our task and uh, pleasure uh, to try to have that wonderful relationship with God and then have it for eternity when we die.
1: Well, Peter said even, of course, that even the angels long to look into these things. And Bob, the relationship between God and man. So it's that all the human beings have asked, I think the angels wonder too. (laughs) We always always wonder. right. the next question a viewer asked, can you uh, be baptized more than once? Well, the direct answer to the question is yes, you can be. Uh, The next question is do you need to be? And that's probably what the viewer's more getting to. Um, Of course we teach on this program, the Bible teaching on baptism, that uh, as Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. Uh, we believe that uh, repentance and faith in Christ and confessing Him as Lord and being baptized is required to become a Christian. It's not earning our salvation in any way. It's just obeying what God said to do to to start the process to receive His free grace. Uh, but some people think, well, do I need to redo it? And there's two sides of that. You know, perspective two perspectives on that as people ask the question one is someone who's been baptized in that way and they've been immersed for the remission of their sins and then they just fall into a life of sin and they stumble and they just have a real hard time and really struggling with some things and they say well you know do i need to be rebaptized did the first one not take Well, usually my advice on that is that no, you don't need to, you simply need to repent. You need to repent and turn away from those sins and the blood of Christ that covered you initially continues to wash away your sins if you'll repent and and move forward. So, uh, in in that perspective, I don't think one needs to. Now, um, if there was a person who was baptized in the wrong reason, uh, let's say that they were Uh, sprinkled as an infant, uh, didn't know what they were doing, uh, had no say in the matter, had no faith, no repentance, uh, then I think certainly uh, being rebaptized would be uh, uh, appropriate in that situation. So um, being rebaptized, I kind of said there's three usual, three typical reasons for doing that. Uh, The first is the person didn't understand why they were doing it. They were too young to understand they were a baby and wasn't their decision. Uh, The second is it was done for the wrong reasons. They weren't baptized into Christ, they were just done to you know sort of as a uh, uh, get membership into a church or something like that. Third reason it was done in the wrong way. Any of those apply to you Uh, you want to consider being rebaptized, that's fine. Uh, Ultimately it's a, a personal decision, of course, Um, But the Bible, as far as this subject is concerned, doesn't have much to say. There's only one example, and we will look at that together. That's in Acts chapter 19, uh, verses 3 through 5. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, you know, this example was uh, a bit of a unique one and probably doesn't even apply to the two situations we've called to. But that is an example of rebaptism. But for the most part, if you do it in the right way for the right reasons, not necessary. But if you don't, maybe you ought to rethink that, uh, study it up with somebody and talk it over with uh, someone who knows about the subject.
0: All right. Good advice, Toby. Uh, Let me talk just a moment about studying the Bible, and we do study the Bible for 30 minutes every week with you, but uh, we only get a few questions covered, and there's so much more in the Bible we don't ever get around to, and uh, you can in home Bible study. You can study the parts that you're interested in and the ones that help you the most, and we've got some free Bible study materials that we are happy to send you. I've been doing it for decades and they had thousands of people sign up and go through this course and some other courses that we have. Uh, they're just good Bible study tools. They help you understand the Bible. And a lot of times I think they help you form a regular habit of Bible study. And I think we've started a lot of people off on a, a lifetime of studying the Bible and spending a little time each day or each week uh, in the Bible. And that's a good thing for us to do as men. We learn more about God's will for us. You see the first series of lessons on the screen here. uh, Just a real basic Bible study. uh, Helps you know the parts of your Bible and get familiar with it. And uh, once you're done with that, we've got some more advanced ones that study other parts of the Bible or a specific book or a topic. uh, A great way to learn more about the Bible. So phone number, websites on the screen. All you have to do is get through uh, one of those. Tell us you'd like that free course. We'll get it in the mail for you almost immediately and you can start studying with Know Your Bible study tools. Uh, Speaking of Bibles, viewers ask a very detailed question here. Uh, I want to know what's the difference between the KJV, King James Version, NLT, that's the New Living Translation, or the RSV, that's the Revised Standard Version, is the the, uh, abbreviation for those translations. Well. If this viewer wants a detailed explanation of the differences between those and how they were translated and who translated them and uh, all of that, uh, we don't have time to go into that on this program. You can uh, go get on the web internet and find all kinds of detailed uh, analyses of different translations and uh, work that out. I'm going to assume that uh, the viewer is asking a, a simpler question perhaps uh, when I go to the Bible bookstore to buy a Bible, they, they got all these things on there, KJV and NLT and M-E-L, all the, what's all this mean? What is it? Uh, so I'm going to answer it at that level. And those three things are just three different translations of the Bible. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, we can't read Hebrew, uh, so we need an English translation. Uh, the New Testament was written in Greek and most of us can't read Greek, so we need an English translation so that's what those abbreviations are, is a man or a group of men, a group of scholars sat down and translated from the Hebrew and the Greek into English and called their translation the New Living Translation or the Revised Standard or whatever. So that's all that means. Now, what's the difference between them? There's a lot of things that go into that. Who were the scholars? Were they very good scholars? Or were they just some guy on a train that read an English version and put it in his own words? Uh, That's what the Living Bible is, by the way. A a guy going to work took an English Bible and every morning on the train to New York City he would rewrite it in his own words. It's not really a translation, it's called a paraphrase. Uh, But he wasn't a scholar at all. So that's one thing that goes into which translation is better or what's the difference between them. Uh, Instead of going into all that, we answer that a lot of times on this program. Let me point out something a little different today. Let me show you the two basic kinds of translations. Uh, Let's look at this on the screen together. Uh, One is called formal equivalence, and one is called dynamic equivalence. What that means is when the translators sit down, if they're going to do a formal equivalence translation, they want to go word for word. They want to get the right Hebrew word into the right English word. The dynamic means they just want to get the thought of the passage right. They don't care if they get the exact word translated right, every word, they just want to get the thought correct. Now, that's a big difference. Uh, And translators choose one of those when they start out to do their translation. Do we want to be real accurate, go word for word and get it right, or do we want to just get the thought? Now, obviously, just getting the thought is easier to read Word-for-word word is a little harder to read. It's a little more uh, scholarly, perhaps, or a little, more, a little harder to think through it and understand it. So that's the two big kinds, the uh, two differences in, in major translations. Now, let me show you a few translations and what kind they are. Uh, the formal equivalents, the more accurate, the word-for-word, word, the King James or the New King James, those kind of translations, the Revised Standard, the New American Standard, and the ESV is one of the most uh, recent ones, English Standard Version. And on the Thought for Thought side, uh, the NIV, New International Version, and then there's the New Living Translation, the Good News Bible, the Message, many people have that one around because it's so easy to read, and the Living Bible, which I've already said is not a translation but a, a paraphrase. Now, of those, you notice I've highlighted the ESV and the NIV. Those are the two I'd recommend. I think the ESV is the most readable of the word-for-word translations, and I think the NIV is the most accurate of the thought-for-thought translations. Uh, So, if I was a young person today, uh, going to the Bible bookstore to pick a Bible, I'd get either the ESV or the NIV. Uh, If I was older and grew up reading the King James, And love the language of it. I'd probably get a New King James because it's been changed a little bit where it's a little easier to read, uh, but it's still the accurate, and it's the old 1611 language in many cases. Uh, So I'd I'd go with one of those. But NIV, ESV, one of those I think is the best recommendation I could make, and that's the two different kinds of translations. We never talked about that much on the program, but I thought that would be a good way to uh, bring that in, help folks understand the difference in translations.
1: I think it's helpful, too, because when if a person is just starting out, going into a Christian bookstore can be a little overwhelming. <laughs> a lot of choices here, so yep. you surmised it well. <laughs> All right, the next question is um, very in-depth, so we're not going to cover it uh, completely, but they want to know, what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, <clears throat> uh, in the New Testament, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a unique instance that... Uh, by my uh, study, occurs three times in the New Testament. Uh, One is with the apostles at Pentecost in Acts chapter two. Uh, The second is uh, with Peter and uh, the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. And the third is uh, Paul at Ephesus uh, in Acts chapter 19. Uh, All three were special instances when the Holy Spirit just immediately came upon uh, and indwelled those who were present. Uh, that was evidenced by tongue speaking. And there are those who believe that you must have baptism of the Holy Spirit to be saved. And if you no, don't have that, then you're not a real Christian and all that. But uh, they take these instances out of context. And furthermore, uh, when they were speaking in tongues, they weren't babbling. Uh, they weren't just uh, uttering random things that made no sense. They were really speaking in real languages. And the third is that all three of those evidences, or ex- all three uh of those occasions were times when God was sending a message to the Jewish uh, disciples at the time those who came from that background that now the kingdom was opened and included the Gentiles and it was a a very specific instance where God used to show them that so does this exist today Uh, no because when we become a a Christian uh, you receive not only the forgiveness of sins uh, but also the gift of the Holy Spirit And he indwells within you. Now, does that mean you speak in tongues? No. Does that mean you have any magical, uh, miraculous abilities? No. It simply means that you have a guide and a helper and someone to walk with you and guide you along your Christian walk and to to help your thinking. And I think, in a lot of ways, is very real. In fact, Jesus called him a helper. So. when today you know, we have faith, repentance, and baptism, then you receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're added to the church, the body of Christ, and that's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Uh, let's read one verse together from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. And Paul writes there to the church at Corinth, "...just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ." For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And so Christians are united in that when we become a Christian, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But these uh, baptisms of the Holy Spirit were very unique instances that occurred in the early church. So I hope that helps you. There's certainly much more on that discussion, but not appropriate to this venue here uh, to go into that deep of a study.
0: All right, a question about the afterlife. A viewer wants to know, in John five twenty-eight, it says our bodies will rise from the grave for judgment. Uh, why do we need our bodies when our spirit's already in heaven? Well, exactly what happens after death is a huge topic, and we could talk a lot about that. But the basic question is, uh, if our bodies are in the grave, Why is God going to bother raising them up, giving us a new resurrection body uh, if our spirits are in heaven? Isn't that all right? Well, the answer is, uh, the only answer is, is that's the way God wants it. Uh, God created us for this earth to have a body. And this body that we live in now is suited for this earth. We breathe this kind of air. We uh, survive at the right altitudes. We deal with all the the things that are on this earth, and he gave us a body fit for that. Now, what heaven's going to be like, we don't know. It's going to be different. Nobody's come back and give us a report yet, so we don't know. Uh, but it obviously requires a body, or that's what God's chosen to do. So it's going to be a resurrection body. It's going to be different than this one. It's going to be spiritual instead of physical. It's going to be glorious. It's not going to be weak. Uh, you know, not going to be mortal. There's a lot of things Paul tells us about it, but God wants us to have a body. He's going to give us a resurrection body that is fit for the new kingdom that we're going to live in. So that's the answer. That's what God wanted. He's going to give us the right kind of body. All right. Let me invite you to visit the Church of Christ sometime. We are sponsored and kept on the air by Churches of Christ. and We like to mention some each week that uh, help us and invite you to drop in and visit them today. We'll talk about uh, one of our newer sponsors up in South Dakota. We've been on up there a couple of years. A great group of folks there in Sioux Falls. If you live in Sioux Falls or around that area, drop in visit them sometime. They found out about Know Your Bible and wanted to help us put it on in that area and we're happy to work with them and let them have a part in that. They're at 1208 Southeastern Avenue. A fine group of folks. I know you'd be warmly welcomed you're searching for a church home, drop in and give them a visit. You'd find some folks that uh, think and study about the Bible a lot like we do on this program. Of course, anywhere you live and uh, know your Bible viewing area, you can probably find a Church of Christ near you. Uh, and if not, give us a call and we'll help you find one close to you. So visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Toby.
1: Yep, a church search question if you want to know. We find all the different religions confusing. Baptist, Catholic, Orthodox, Pentecostal, etc. How can one know which is the correct one? Well, I agree with you. There are lots of different religions. You open your yellow pages or do a Google search on churches and you'll just come up with an endless list. And how does one who maybe doesn't go to church find one that's right? Um, Some people say just find one that suits you. Choose the church of your choice. Well, in the Bible, as we discuss on this program, what does the Bible say? Of course, uh, there's only one church in the Bible. There's only one body and you know that there was, that was just the group of Christians. They were called the body of Christ, uh, they were called the way, they were called the Church of Christ, just different things, but there was only it was just one body and they were under, under the lordship of one head. In fact, Paul uh, later uses that analogy. They were all united under the Lordship of Jesus and the teaching of the Apostles' doctrine. And so I would say if you're looking for a church, uh, if you have not been to a church in a long time, the first thing I would do is encourage you to sign up for the Bible Correspondence Course. Because one thing that will do is really help you get a picture of what the Bible teaches. And then, as you know what the Bible teaches, as you look at churches, you can look for a church that teaches in line with (laughs) the New Testament teachings. And that's concerning salvation and worship and the authority and all of those issues you want to make sure that lines up with the Bible. So sign up for the Bible correspondence. That'll really help you. Let's read Ephesians 4, chapter 4 through 6. Uh, Together, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But I believe if you're sincere, adamant, open up the pages of your New Testament, look what it teaches, look at the example that those Christians set, you can find a church uh, that is exactly, uh, fits that pattern and that example even today.
0: Okay. Thank you, Toby. And that's our plea on this program, where our, uh, what we try to teach is the way to find the right anything yep, that God yep. has. <laughs> uh, the right church, the right way for marriage, the right way for life, uh, anything that fits God's plan is to study the Bible. Right. And that's why we say we want you to know your Bible, and we try to answer questions straight from the Bible. Uh, that's the way you find God's plan in anything, including mm-hmm. churches. Yep, that's right. Alright, viewer wants to know about a parable. What does the parable about old and new cloth, and old and new wineskins mean. Well, it is kind of a interesting thing, since we don't use wineskins in this country very much. We may be a little confused., uh, the context of that story is about fasting, and that the people asked Jesus why his disciples weren't fasting and following the old Jewish rituals. And here's what he said in Mark chapter eight. Uh, he said, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And then he goes on the rest of the passage to talk about you don't put new wine in an old wineskin. All right. The picture is if you got something new and old and you try to mix them, it doesn't work. If you've got a shirt that's been washed a lot of times and you take a new piece of cloth and sew, sew a patch on it, As soon as you wash that, that new patch is going to shrink and it's not going to fit anymore. It'll look horrible. Uh, If you've got new wine, which has to expand as it ferments, you don't put it in an old wineskin because an old wineskin is already stretched out as far as it's going to stretch. You put new wine in there and the old wineskin will blow up. It doesn't work. You need a new wineskin for new wine and they both stretch together. So that's the picture. What he meant was, His disciples weren't fasting because the old Jewish rituals weren't going to fit with the new faith in Jesus. He was starting a new way, uh, the new covenant, a new way of serving God by believing in Jesus and all that. And under the new covenant, you weren't going to have all the old things, all the old rituals, and they just wouldn't fit. So that was His answer to them. Yeah, under the old way, under the old covenant, You fasted. You did this and you went to the temple and you did this on Saturday and you did all that. It doesn't fit under the new system. So that's all that parable means is you can't mix the new with the old, specifically in things religious, Old Testament and New Covenant.
1: Well, we even get that question even today. I mean, still the old you know, old yeah. and the new, and yeah. that's probably the most common misconception. Yeah, is people just, want to go back yeah. and
0: take something out of right. the old covenant yeah. and say, yeah. well, why don't we worship on Saturday? Right. They right. used to. Yeah. Well, it doesn't fit with the new one. <laughs> okay, we're out of time today, but let's make sure we get our trivia question answered. Uh, how many brothers did Joseph have? Joseph had a big family, had 11 brothers. You can read about that in Genesis 35. Had 11 brothers, and it was a dysfunctional bunch <laughs> of brothers. They had lots of problems because daddy treated them with favoritism. It's quite a story, the story of old Joseph. So we're out of time today for questions, but we'll invite you to be back with us next week when we'd answer some more of them. Till then, you have a great week.
1: Know
0: Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area